0: just had a small number of lines, (coughs) small amount of screen time there. It was was when the battle was taking place at Endor uh, and there was a leader that was leading the rebel alliance to destroy the second of the Death Stars. And Han Solo and Chewbacca were on the moon of Endor, and they're trying to disable the shield that's protecting the city so the rebels can get in. And the leader of the alliance forces here was Admiral Akbar. You remember him. He was the, the, uh, the amphibious. Actually, the species he came from was amphibious. The Mon Calamari. I thought that was funny that he's Calamari. Yeah, um, don't cook Admiral Akbar. Let's not do that. So he leads the attack against Endor here, the battle for Endor, and then he realizes that they've been set up, they've been played. The, The rebel alliance is coming right into where the Emperor wants them to be. And he makes the famous line that everyone remembers from the Star Wars trilogy it's a trap. Everyone knows that. It's one of the most often quoted phrases from the entire movies, this, this character in just a, a, a short number of lines, short amount of time on screen. The, info, the, the, the famous words, it's a trap. And now it's made into memes, thousands of memes all over the internet with Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. Well, in our text this morning, There is a tie-in, see. In our text this morning in Luke chapter 14, it is almost as though Admiral Akbar is standing up and saying, It's a trap. Jesus is being led into a trap by the Pharisees. It's a very sad turn of events because of what takes place and the characters involved in the trappings of Jesus. it, 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 it's a dinner party, and it sets Jesus up to tell the story, a parable of two other dinner parties. And so we have three dinners, and Jesus is the guest at each and every one of them. Look with me this morning at the first of the three dinner parties, Luke chapter 14. Let's, let's begin with verse 1 and go down to verse 6 and kind of set the stage for what's happening here. One Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Pronoun there, him. He went to dine. It's Jesus. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. With each of the dinner parties that we look at this this morning, and we look at each of the three of them, and as we look at each of the three of them, there is a lesson to be learned, a lesson that Jesus passes on to us in in the context of this dinner party. And the very first lesson that he gives us here is the lesson concerning hypocrisy. A lesson about hypocrisy. The place was very carefully chosen for this dinner party. It's at the home of a prominent Pharisee where where he and all of his guests could observe Jesus firsthand. It's on the Sabbath day. And so we are to conclude from this that the the time of worship at the Sabbath had concluded. These Pharisees invited Jesus after the worship in the Sabbath to, or in the synagogue to come along and have dinner with him. It, it's this, this Sabbath day. Uh, Sabbath was a day that, that the the Pharisees routinely harassed Jesus because of their man made rules and regulations related to the Sabbath day and the way that Jesus dealt with those man made rules. And regulations. And conveniently, in the midst of all of this, there is a sick man who is present at the dinner at the home of this prominent Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees. Wonder what Jesus is going to do. Because, see, consistently the Pharisees had gotten on to Jesus and they had condemned him for healing on the Sabbath day. And so now here you are in the home of a ruler of the Pharisees on the Sabbath day and lo and behold we've got a sick man present. What do you think is going on here? Well, let's, uh, let's not give the Pharisees too much credit here. It's a trap. Their intent was not to enjoy dinner with Jesus their intent was to trap him in what he might do related to this sick man who was there. In fact, you can pick up on this if you will notice where the eyes of all of the Pharisees are. Verse 1, on the Sabbath, he went to dine in the house of a ruler. They were watching him carefully. That's why Jesus was there. He was there to be watched. He was there to be observed. They were watching him carefully. Who were they watching? Were they watching this man in need? This man who is suffering physically with this disease? Not at all. They're watching him. They're watching Jesus. Not out of reverence. Not out of respect. Not hanging on to his every word. Not ready to do what he said. They were watching him because they wanted to trap him in some way. Sabbath day ruler of the Pharisees, sick man, a man who has dropsy. It, it, it would be like edema today. It would be uh, a, a retaining of fluid, fluid that would gather in the chest cavity, in the stomach, and with all the connecting tissue, the, the, the fluids would just fill up within the man's body. It, it was not a disease itself. Dropsy instead was a result of a disease. Perhaps a result of heart disease or kidney disease, lung disease, liver disease. And dropsy was usually fatal. There was nothing that could be done about it at the time. What in the world is Jesus going to do? If he heals this man, the Pharisees pounce again. Look at you, you are breaking down the rules and you're not doing what needs to be done. If he doesn't heal this man, he is heartless and ruthless and doesn't care. Why why was this even an issue? Why was not it even an issue what Jesus might do for this man on the Sabbath day? The Pharisees had a rule which would forbid healing on the Sabbath day. There was nowhere in God's rules, in God's law, in God's word that would prohibit healing. But the Pharisees had come along and they said, no, we're not just going to be content with God's laws here. We're going to expand upon them. And they, they throw together hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other laws that they put upon people. And one of them was that you could not heal on the Sabbath because it would be considered work. It was a man-made regulation. And notice what Jesus does. He he knows this this is a trap. He knows this is what's going on. And so Jesus responds to the lawyers and the Pharisees, verse 3, saying, "...is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not?" Remember, Jesus and the Pharisees, they'd already locked horns over this issue. We, we've already looked at three times. This is now the, 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 the fourth time in the gospel of Luke that someone is healed on the sabbath day in Luke chapter 4 we read about Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law in Luke chapter 6 we read about Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the sabbath in Luke chapter 13 that we looked at several weeks ago there's a woman who has been crippled and bent over for 18 years and Jesus heals her on the sabbath day there are others recorded in the gospel you would think that Jesus with With a record like this, that he would be loved by all. Look at what he does for people. Look at how he treats people. Look at how he cares about people. But every healing that Jesus performed on the Sabbath made these these self-righteous, these hypocritical religious leaders all the more certain that Jesus was dangerous to them and their control over the people. And so Jesus asks the question, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The question is hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious to these people because they couldn't heal anybody on any day. And so Jesus comes along and he says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And now, oh, oh, how the tables have been turned. Jesus walks into a trap and he takes the trap and he turns it onto the Pharisees. Because you see, if the Pharisees come along and if they respond and say, oh yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they are the ones who are becoming soft and hypocritical regarding their very own laws. If they say, yes, you can heal on the Sabbath, then it undermines the entirety of their man-made laws, rules, and regulations, these stringent measures that they had invented for Sabbath observance. They couldn't provide one single Bible verse to substantiate their claims. Not one where God says you cannot heal on the Sabbath day. They knew it. They knew it. God's Word doesn't say you can't. Can I? Just making aside here for just a moment as we continue to look through this. The final place for authority in faith and practice for us as people of God is found in the Word of God. What does God's Word say? The Pharisees had nothing to say from God's Word about healing on the Sabbath. So if they said, yes, you can heal on the Sabbath, it undermines all of their rituals and regulations and man-made rules. But if they come along and say, no, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath day, then they're accused of being inhumane, they're, they're accused of being uncaring about human suffering, and so what do they do? They remain silent. Was it uh, it, uh, Abraham Lincoln who said, It is better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt? They remained silent. There's nothing they can say. We're trapped. We've been caught in our own web. And of course Jesus comes along and he takes them in. He heals him. Interestingly, the the word that is used there for healed means a complete healing. The man was completely healed. In an instant, the fluids dissipated. In an instant, his whole organs were healed. In an instant, the swelling disappeared. Jesus healed him and sent him away. Such a measure of grace that Jesus extends to this man. He doesn't want this man to be caught anymore in this conversation. And so he heals him, and he sends him away, recognizing, of course, this man wants to get back to his family, back to his friends, and say, I am no longer going to die right now. I've met Jesus, and he has healed me. And then after that, Jesus looks to them, and he asks them another question. Which of you, if you have a son, or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. Jesus comes along and he says, you've got a a person here. You've got a person created in the image of God and you're using him as a prop. You're using him as a tool. You're using him as bait in the trap. You have more compassion for an ox than you do for this man created in the image of God. What incredible hypocrites they are! How heartless of them to use this man to accomplish their wicked plan. They were only interested in their own notoriety. They invited Jesus to entrap him. They watched Jesus to catch him. They were hypocrites to the full extent. They develop their own man-made rules and regulations and heap them upon people to the point that Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 23 about them. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. In fact, if you go back and you read through the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 23 here, there are seven times in this very chapter that Jesus refers to the self-righteous people who give their man-made regulations rather than the requirements and the expectations of God and His Word. And seven times Jesus says to them, Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites! Why? Because they don't base their beliefs on Scripture. It's not founded on God's Word. It's not meant for building others up, but for control. And so Jesus gives this lesson in hypocrisy. Be certain that your expectations flow out of what God's Word says. Make sure that you're living in obedience to God based upon His Word. Uh, There are so many examples that we could give of man-made regulations. From, from recent history, it, it would revolve around things like playing cards or dancing. We have them now related to attire. Can women wear slacks or pants? Do they have to wear skirts and dresses? We have all sorts of these man-made regulations that we build up for ourselves, the kind of music we can listen to. I, I remember growing up, it was awful if you listened to country music. It's still kind of awful, but not for religious reasons. And so here Jesus comes along, and from our dinner we learn that he says, don't be hypocritical. Don't call upon others to do what you are unwilling to do. Love God with a genuine heart and love others as yourself. (laughs) See, the reason that these Pharisees didn't care a whit about this man is because they didn't love him, and the reason they didn't love him is because they didn't love God. Love for God flows out of God's love for us, and that love for God gives itself out in flow of love to others around us. Don't be a hypocrite, Jesus says. And then secondly, he gives a lesson in humility. Look at verse verse 7 here. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. He's still here at the dinner. And he gives this story to those who were invited to the dinner. He gives this story when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, in in this this first century setting, and it happens even today to some extent, uh, when you would come into a dinner party, the closer that you sat to the host of the dinner party, the higher you stood on the social ladder. And so people would would give attention to coming in and being seen seated close to the home. When the doors were open, people would just rush into the head table uh, so that they could be there near the, the place of honor. Jesus observed this, and of course it was happening in this setting especially. Everyone wanted to be near the the scene of action with what's going on with Jesus and this sick man. Remember, it's a trap. This is a setup. So he sees how they come in to choose the places of honor, and he says, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We move from a lesson in hypocrisy to a lesson in humility. People would rush to take the seat of honor. And Jesus says, don't don't be like that. He's not telling them here to take the lowest seat so that you'll be moved up to the front. No, there's no guarantee of that happening at all. What Jesus is saying here is do not think too highly of yourself. Don't think of yourself more than you ought in your standing and your social realms. Think of yourself with tremendous humility. Here here comes this proud, this arrogant dinner guest. All eyes are upon him as he takes the seat of prominence and reputation. The adulation makes him feel good about himself. Imagine what others must be saying of me as I'm seated here at the table of honor, close, close to the host. And then all of a sudden he senses that there is a presence hovering above him. And he looks up, and there is the host with someone else, and the host says, "I'm going to have to ask you to move. This is a seat reserved for this person." How embarrassing. Oh, all eyes in the room are still upon him, but now they're on him for a very different reason. His face turns red. He begins to perspire. He slinks back to an obscure seat. He is still the center of attention, and he is the center of conversation, but not for all the right reasons. He comes in with pride when he should have come with humility. know, the Bible says a lot to us about pride. The book of Proverbs especially says so much. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are perverted speech I hate. Proverbs chapter 11, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Isaiah chapter 13, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Listen to this listing in Mark chapter seven. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Pride is antithetical to a person who has been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Pride has no place in the heart of one who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you look to Jesus, Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus, equal with God, and yet he did not consider that equality something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant becoming obedient even to the point of death. And having humbled himself so much, God exalted him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Pride is rampant within our society. We don't make much of the humble We make much of the proud because they make much of themselves. Watch watch the actors. Watch the sports stars and how they act. No no humility. Even, Even if tremendously good at their sport, no humility to say, this is a gift that I have received. We walk in pride and arrogance. Jesus says, live in humility of life. And then in the third dinner party, there's a lesson in hospitality. verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him. There's words on how to be a good guest, and then there's a word on how to be a good host. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Have you ever noticed before how we have a tendency to do this in church circles? We we do. We have a tendency to do this in church circles, and we're notorious for it. We will come on Sunday morning, and we will go to our groups on Sunday morning, and we will sit with the same people we sit with every week, right? Right? and then when the class is over, we will get up together with the same people we have been sitting with, and we will walk in here with the same people we have been sitting with, and we will sit in the same place with the same people, we will leave with the same people, eat lunch with the same people. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But who is being excluded within those actions? It's interesting if, uh, if we are to have a church fellowship of some sort, You will notice that everyone tends to sit with the same people they always sit with at every church fellowship, don't we? Now, part of that is because we know them, we're familiar with them. Jesus doesn't say don't ever do that, but look at what he does say. When when you do something like this, invite people you normally wouldn't think of inviting. Invite the poor, the crippled. The lame, the blind. I invite those who need help. Once I remember asking a church to, because we're all like this, we all have assigned seating on Sunday morning apparently. And once asked a church, said, let's just do something different. We had guests that would come and visitors that would come and they would say, well, no one spoke to me. Well, we, we, we think we're a very friendly church because we're friendly with the people we know and we talk to them all the time, right? And so they would say, well, no one spoke. And so I made a challenge to the people. I said, let's do this. Instead of sitting where you always sit every Sunday morning, how about next week when we come back together, let's, let's switch it up a little bit. Move somewhere else and sit beside someone you don't know. Even better yet, go and speak to someone you don't know or haven't met yet. Had only one person take me up on it, and it was only for one week, and then everything was back to normal. Jesus isn't saying here to not hang out with your friends and family. He is saying, though, don't limit your interactions to the same people all the time, especially in a scenario like this, because he says what's going to happen is it's just a, it's tit for tat, it's quid pro quo, back and forth, and so we're going to invite you to do this knowing that you will invite us to do this next time, and then we just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's a, it's a measure of elitism, reciprocation. Invite those who maybe wouldn't have anything else. Maybe we could could phrase it this way, and we'll, we'll read more about this when we get to this parable of the banquet that Jesus talks about. Lord willing, next week we'll look at it. Maybe we could ask the question this way. Who are you reaching out to? Who are you reaching out to? Is there someone that maybe you say, you know, I don't know them really well, but maybe I could get to know them this week. Maybe maybe I could just say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Hey, let's have dinner one night this week. Who are you reaching out to? All of these lessons in these three dinner parties has a gospel implication for us. Jesus gives to us a lesson on hypocrisy. You will never enter into the kingdom of God in hypocrisy. There will never be half-hearted allegiance to Jesus the demands of Jesus are too great on his disciples. Where he says, if anyone, if anyone is going to follow me, if anyone's going to be my disciple, he's going to have to take up his cross daily. Basically, you're going to have to forget yourself and you're going to have to come to Jesus and follow him daily. The hypocrisy of wanting to hold on into this world and the things that this world can afford you doesn't mesh well when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus comes along and he says as well that no one can serve both God and money. You're going to end up serving one and hating the other. You can't be hypocrites in this. I know there are moments of hypocrisy for every single one of us. But as the pattern of life, is your heart in with Jesus? Or are you still divided? There's a lesson of humility. Humility is essential for entrance into the kingdom of God. Humility is essential for repentance, to come and say, I'm wrong. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Pride keeps a lot of people out of heaven. And then finally, the lesson of hospitality. Jesus doesn't just tell us who to invite. He invites the people he tells us to invite. We're all poor spiritually. We have nothing to offer God, nothing that would commend us to Him. We're all crippled. We, we can't walk ourselves into the kingdom of God. We're all lame, we're blind apart from Jesus. And God extends the invitation to the very people Jesus tells us to extend the invitation. Because we are those people. And it is only when we come to Jesus that we are no longer poor, no longer crippled, no longer lame, no longer blind. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. So question number one to close this morning. Have you responded to salvation today? Have you responded to the gospel call to forsake all in repentance and trust Jesus Christ alone? Have you done that? Question number two, for those of us who have, are we walking in truth and humility with the message of the gospel upon our lips to those who need to hear it. Father, in this moment, we recognize and acknowledge again the precious nature of your word given to us. We see our Savior encountered with all the traps of man-made arrogant, hypocritical religion. And he responds in healing power. I pray today, Father, for those who are here who have never experienced that healing touch from Jesus, that at this moment they are still those who are poor and crippled and lame and blind spiritually. I would ask, Father, please, would you open their hearts and their eyes the glorious work of Jesus Christ, that they might come in repentance and faith, trusting for salvation. And I pray for each of us, Father, as, as your children, that we would learn the lessons of hypocrisy and humility and hospitality, and that we would more clearly display the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. In fidelity to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. We stand, we'll sing together. And if you need to respond in some way, we would love for you to do so. I'll be standing here, and if you'd like to talk more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, we'd love to begin a conversation. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a member of Boone Trail Baptist Church. If there's a need you have, we invite you to come as we sing together this morning.